Welcome to The Flipside with Her Black Book, a podcast powered by Samsung Galaxy and presented by Pop Sugar Australia. I'm Julie Stavanya. And I'm Sally Sassi. Together, we're the founders of premium shopping and discovery app, Her Black Book, where you can find a curation of exclusive deals, cashback promotions, and new arrival alerts from all your favorite brands. Our app, Her Black Book, is available for download on iOS and Android now. Every Thursday, we'll be in your ears delivering honest, insightful interviews and action-driven conversations with our diverse lineup of influential guests across business, brands, and technology. We are lifting the lid on the thrills and spills that come with building and working within a tech-driven business. At the end of each episode, we'll deliver our listeners a very special exclusive offer from our Her Black Book brand partners. Lana Hopkins and Juliana De Simone are pioneering our digital future. They are the founders of Someplace, a mobile Web3 platform lending commerce and connection without the algorithms and endless scrolling. The intuitive multiplayer world allows users to interact and express themselves in a real-time 3D digital space, as well as in real life with AR technology. Someplace is a more human approach to social media, and since launching in March this year has attracted the attention of A-list celebrities, including Reese Witherspoon, Brie Larson, Eva Longoria and Lionel Richie. Together, Lana and Juliana are on a mission to break down barriers and make the digital experience more accessible and equitable for all. Welcome, Lana and Juliana. Hey, guys. Thank you for having us. So lovely to be together. So lovely to be chatting, girls. So my first question, Juliana, is if you can tell us, how did you and Lana first meet? What drew you both to explore the Web3? Oh, our little romantic story. Every time we say romantic, people think something weird is coming up, but no, it's not. We just like to make it romantic because it was a nice spring night in LA over uh, outdoor dining, pizza and wine. Um, But Lana and I met through my husband, actually. Dean and Lana met a few months before, were in conversation, and then Lana happened to be in LA on a short trip right before the pandemic, actually, a week before our borders closed. Well, your borders closed for a really long time. Our borders closed for quite some time. And we had one of those nights that, you know, when you sit down with someone and your brain just comes together, Hmm. it was this sort of magic. And that's where the romance is. It's just our brains kind of worked so incredibly well in very different ways. So it's very complimentary. And we had such an interesting conversation that night. And after Lana left back to Australia, I think we were on biweekly calls where it's just like, hey, do you have 30 minutes? And 30 minutes would turn into two hours. And we just dove into all things metaverse, web three, AR technology, where the future is going, uh, diversity in technology, name it every single topic that could be part of where we're going in terms of society and Web3 and technology was part of the conversation. And we quickly realized that with the borders closing, with our life becoming so, so digital, there were no tools that really allowed us to have the humane connectivity that we were looking for. All we had was a combination of all these different tools, but everything kind of left us with a lack of 
humanity, I guess, is the word. And so that's kind of how Someplace was born, was really from a need of us to find better ways to connect, to show our identity online, to share what was important to each other. And truly, you know, the beauty of blockchain technology is allowing us to really show what's important to us because, you know, it's it's registered somewhere. And so for us, it was like, oh, I really love this art. I really love this brand. I love this. I love that. And how can we get more immersed with 3D technology as well, making it so unique and tell mm-hmm. stories in such a, a robust way? So we just kind of like dove right into all those topics. I just, you know, made this a really big mash, but that's kind of how our conversations were at the time and bring us here today. Did the idea come that night? Did you write it on the back of a napkin or was it not even really discussed that evening that you were going to start a business, but it just naturally evolved over those, you know, conversations over time? You know what? It's like every great romantic relationship, we became pen pals. And I say that because uh, it's really funny. That's also how I got to know my husband. We texted each other for probably six months before we went on our first date. So funny that seems to be a pattern there. Um, <laughs> every great relationship. Um, Jules and I brought our collective backgrounds. Um, Jules from a design consumer background and me from a consumer tech background. And we really spoke a lot about the fact that um, we didn't see ourselves represented in any of the opportunities that were t- starting to take shape. And I think the biggest thing that we uh, collectively worry about is when you look at Web2 products and how they're designed and how they look and how they feel and how they taste, there is sort of a collective lack of wholesomeness, I think, in some ways. And so for us, it was about how do we bring our collective experience and create something within Web3 where women, where minorities, where, you know, people of colour, et cetera, could feel, could come and feel and be seen and be represented in better ways. And what we knew had to happen straight away is we had to adopt the mindset of how do you build a product which really sits at the intersection of Web 2 and Web 3, which is what we really define as Web 0.25. It's something that is intuitive, easy to use, etc. Um, why am I giving that backstory? It's because it took us months and months and months of conversation to actually arrive at what this would all look like. And ultimately, where we are today, with the help of our community, with the help of Potioners, there will be announcements coming soon. But we've come at a really interesting position where Someplace really is a Web3 platform that really allows us to think about commerce and rewards in a way for, you know, building a more engaging and creative brand and consumer relationship. How do you do that? You do that through beautiful, immersive experiences, but you also reward people in a way that's only possible through the blockchain, through transparency, visibility, provenance, etc. And so for us, it was a matter of how do we blend the best of all of those worlds and build something that is palatable, easy to use and easy to understand? Because it was a problem that we had individually and collectively. And so I think months of conversation really helped us finish that. And so, Juliana, for those who aren't familiar with Someplace, can you tell us a little bit more about what it is and how it actually works? Really, what we're trying to do, so think of Someplace as a highly immersive and high-fidelity platform where brands and creators get to deliver their stories and narratives through very beautiful, 
elevated 3D experiences. So we're not talking about what we're familiar with 3D this far, but really think about the future and what we've been able to see with really incredible 3D engines, while also connecting with their audience and rewarding them through participation. And what does that really mean? Fans of a brand no longer want to be seen as consumers, right? And when I say brands, think about it as NFT communities, as uh, celebrities, personalities of a brand as we know brands to be traditionally, but they don't want to be seen as consumers anymore. They want to be seen as valuable community members and above all valid participants. You want to know that what you're doing is participating into the future of something. So what we see today in terms of uh, social interactions is that what's important the location you're in, the background you come from, the, how many social media followers you have, all of that defines status and allows us to open up doors into participation in different ways. We're saying, no, 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 scratch all of that. None of that's important. It doesn't matter what the algorithm wants to deliver to you. It also doesn't matter where you live or what have you been doing. What really matters is your participation. How are you participating in this ecosystem and environment? And how we're rewarding you for that participation is what actually opens up future doors and opportunities for you in the space. For brands and creators on the other side, Someplace really is a platform where they can do what? They can build, they can grow, and they can monetize those experiences while creating stronger bonds with their communities. Because at the end of the day, what do brands want? They want to grow and engage with that community in a way that's direct. Um, we talk about you know direct-to-consumer being our backgrounds. Uh, there's so many things you have to take into consideration to get to your consumer. It feels like there's all these barriers until you actually reach them, where we're trying to make that direct relationship a lot easier and a lot more engaging. So right now we're in beta. We have a the potion, our Genesis NFT, which is so doubt. Yes, I own two. <laughs> so I was very fortunate and I was gifted one by the two of you, which I absolutely loved. And I loved it so much, I bought one of them. I remember when I jumped on, I had a look in the morning and there was still like 50 or 60 left. And then a few hours later, I jumped on and there was like four left. And I was like, shit, I've got to get one. Um, but they <laughs> sold out so quickly. They did sell out. And it's funny because Lana and I were on a three-hour product call. We were trying to evolve product. You know, while the mint is happening, we're like fully engaged, trying to like solve a few problems. And right as we're, I think we're like three hours in and our phones start buzzing like crazy. Discord is going crazy. Everything is like, my husband's opening the door and I'm like, what's going on? It's like everywhere. We're sold out. We're sold out. We're sold out. And so it was such an, an incredible experience. And the fact that, you know, Lana and I built this product from two opposite sides of the planet. We've seen each other in person once in our lives. What? Yes, that one night in LA is the one. And then NFT and NYC, we were going to get together. And unfortunately, uh, Lana couldn't make it because she got COVID right before and I got COVID there. So it was about to happen anyways, doesn't matter. But we were so excited to be able to be together and weren't able to. So that moment was so special because it was like when you see the power of 
shared experiences. And what I mean by that is the fact that we were both on that Zoom call as something happened. You don't have that through any media that we use today. Everything is very singular person. You're on your Instagram on your own. Even if you're DMing someone, you're living something very specific that someone else is living very differently. That happens throughout every single platform we're in. What we're trying to do to come back to some places, how can we have more of those shared experiences? How can we be in the same place at the same time, living the same 3D beauty and magic together and building stronger relationships within spaces that are curated and provided to us by brands and communities that we love. So we will be in the app stores in January of next year, which we're super excited because that gives us the opportunity to onboard more and more people to this ecosystem that we're building and also onboarding new brands to the platform. So it's a very exciting future that's coming. But I feel like I'm hoarding a microphone. Lana, you probably want to add something in there. No, I think that's brilliant. And I think the most important takeaway from all of that is when we think about, um, for lack of a better word, the metaverse or the cyber world or whatever you want to call it, really what it comes down to for us as the philosophy is it's a moment in time, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about going to a place. And I think a lot of the reasons why there's so much, I guess, disillusionment around that is because nobody just wants to go into a dystopian space and disappear from reality. What it's about, it's about, it's about creating a product that allows you to have something in your pocket, in the palm of your hand, that gives you an amplified experience that you cannot get anywhere today, but right exactly where you are, there and now. So it's about that moment in time. Lana, do you think that one day everyone's just going to have a digital world just like they do with Instagram and Facebook and TikTok? Absolutely. But I think it's going to hopefully be a lot healthier, less dystopian um, and have a lot of uh, a lot more positivity happening from it. It's less about how much time you spend in there away from real life. It's more about how do you get rewarded for great behavior and for good participation. We're trying to design a product that is going to add value to people's lives and allow brands to really shine creatively. And by brands, we're talking about creators as well, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to sort of run away into something that is a little bit less real. I want to come back to the value that people can get out of this in a moment. But firstly, I've loved this picture you've painted of this world. It's coming soon. It's coming in January next year. In the meantime, tell us about what it's like behind the scenes. Uh, You mentioned you've only met once in real life. So are the two of you hanging out in this world? And how cool is it? Who else are you hanging out with in there? Can you tell us how many beta testers you have and how does one become one? Jules and I are basically together for, I would say, probably no less than six hours a day, whether that's on external calls or um, in strategy and brainstorming um, sessions together on everything from tech, design, product, um, capital raising, you name it. We do that a lot of our days are spent together. Um, I start my day early and Jules finishes her day late. That's just the nature of, you know, the world that we live in um, with her being in LA and me being here in Sydney. It is taking its toll. So I am hoping to relocate to the US early next year. Um, in terms of who else is involved and how how we're doing it, we've got the rest of our team, which is basically all based in North America. Our engineering and development team are in Orange County. 
and our design team is actually in the south of France. So we, we, we take sort of um, calls all around the globe, all around the uh, 24-hour time zone as well. But we're currently spending the majority of our time not just in some place, but actually also in Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, you um, mentioned just before that you obviously are spending time like six hours a day with each other, but you mentioned that you're also doing cap raises within that. How are you managing or navigating cap raises with one in one in the States, one here in Australia? How are you actually navigating that with the distance? We're doing everything together. Um, and I think COVID has really normalised those conversations. I mean, I think both of you know that I've raised quite a bit of capital in my past life. Mm-hmm. Um, and those cap raises always happen face-to-face. It involves some form of a flight to a London and New York or Sydney, Melbourne, etc. Right now, people are conditioned off the back of the pandemic to really connect um, online, first and foremost. And so we're making that work, whether that's six in the morning for me or midnight for Jewels, if we're talking to Europe, um, we're both on, on all of those calls as tough as it might be. How realistic is it that in the not too distant future, ACA next year, uh, you're making those pitches inside some place to all of your investors? That would be the dream. Would you build a boardroom in some place? No. 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 Boardrooms no. are cancelled. Cancelled. <laughs> it's happening over a virtual glass of wine? Yes, definitely for the wine. I think it's just the, the, this is the part that excites me the most about using 3D technology. I talk about this a lot when I'm, I'm, I get excited about the subject and it's, we have no gravity, we have no time, we have no weather in the digital space. So why are we building tables and chairs and things exactly as they look like in the real world? It doesn't make any sense. One would say and could say that someplace looks and feels so real that you almost feel like you're in a real place. But what makes it real is not the, it's not the chair or the couch that's in there or the boardroom look. It's the sunlight. It's the elements that make you feel like you recognize this but could never be. Is this possible? Is this not? What is happening here? I Is this real? No, it's digital. And that is what makes someplace so unique and different from not the one thing, but one of the key ingredients in our pie, like Lana likes to, to talk about baking pies all the time. <laughs> one, of the, one of the ingredients that makes it so unique and special, it's how we're looking at design from as a foundational piece of our product, not an afterthought. What we're seeing happening a lot is launch a product that is half-baked and will fix the visuals in the future, will solve what that looks like. We're taking a completely different approach. We can be fast. We can be ideating and fixing and advancing our product, but making sure that you're coming in here and you feel embraced, welcome. Uh, It's a space you actually want to spend your time in is extremely important for us from day one. And I think if anyone wants kind of like a little bit of a visual insight, the best place to go right now is to your Instagram. I love following the Someplace Instagram, literally a cheerleader on the sideline. What I do notice is that Web3 is definitely gaining rapid traction, especially amongst Hollywood stars. And 
I was absolutely gobsmacked when I saw that you collaborated with some of the best from Hollywood. We're talking about Lionel Richie, we're talking about Eva Longoria and Reese Witherspoon. Tell me, how did that feel and how did you make it happen? There's two things. One is we're going to give you a little naughty snake preview that only you guys will be able to see of how the product's evolving. So, Ralph, you won't be able to screen share it. You'll get to see it and get even more excited. So, so good news coming your way. In terms of the celebrities and how that all came about, I think we've been really fortunate from the perspective that it was so super organic. I remember posting in my Instagram sort of a screenshot from Eva saying, oh, my God, I've literally just discovered someplace. What is this female-founded metaverse? What is this all about? I want in. I think that the way that we went about building this product and thinking about how do we create that something that is rich, that is immersive, and that really thinks about this as a moment in time as opposed to a place you go to to get lost, really grab their attention because there isn't anything like it in the market today that thinks about this with a really human perspective. And so when they discovered it, their natural reaction was literally to contact us and to say, how do we use our power and influence to really share this with our community? Um, and get the word out there. So we kind of got pretty lucky, um, I think, organically. Was that a pinch me moment? Massive. We were screaming, (laughs) screaming and sort of going, oh, my God, what and how? (laughs) Well, because I remember watching it from, you know, Instagram and I remember from even from where I was sitting, I was like, what the hell? How did they collaborate with such big names? And they weren't just putting up some random posts. Like, they were immersed in the whole experience. You could see they absolutely believed in what you're building and they wanted to share what you were building with their followers and their fans to know that it wasn't something that you both were pitching and you know like get trying to get across the line but it happened so organically and effortlessly I think is part of that whole you know you're in the right place you're where you need to be and you're doing what you should be doing and that natural support is gravitating towards that so that was definitely I think well it's a career highlight for for you both, I'm sure, but even for those watching this someplace journey, like it definitely was where I was like, these girls are actually onto something huge to get that much traction so early on. Like kudos to you both. Such a great validation for a fantastic product. And sometimes celebrities, you know, get your enormous attention and sometimes it goes in ways you don't expect because along the similar lines, you had Brie Larson post about this on Twitter and didn't quite get the, or was it the reaction you expected? Can we hear a little bit about that? The flip side with Her Black Book is brought to you by the new Samsung Galaxy Z Fold 4 and Z Flip 4. It's time to unfold your world. Available now at Samsung.com. So when you have a star as big as Brie Larson posting something, one side of us thought it was going to do really well because one, she's a gamer. She talks about playing games. She talked about it during the pandemic a lot, how she was in Fortnite and Animal Crossing with her sister and how involved she was in the whole space. And as a, you know, a Marvel superhero, you're thinking that that also maybe has something because you have a little bit of sci-fi in there. So we were thinking in one direction, but then, like you said, it was completely different. It was and the backlash. Every single post, yes, it was. And if you read through every single post, it was just fear based on those two pieces of information that were being fed. And so we find that it's our responsibility to also educate and say our vision of the metaverse, uh, we don't know what the metaverse is going to turn out to be, but what we do know today and what we believe in is that the metaverse should be 
this bridge between real and digital and how the two come together to really improve your life and not take you away from your life. So even though it was, you know, that one shocking moment, it was also a really good, important moment for us because it it showed us we have a lot of work to do here to get people away from that idea that the metaverse and NFTs have to be looked at in this format. We can reshape that and give people something that they see true utility in their life, daily life. Well, this is the perfect time to circle back to that value add, which you mentioned earlier. Um, so I guess there is there are things that come to mind when people think of the metaverse. There is, you know, losing yourself in a new place. There's discovery, there's exploration, it's exciting. There's obviously some of those um, negative connotations of, you know, uh, artificial life replacing real life and, you know, losing that uh, connection in real life. What are some of the ways that you envisage your version of the metaverse adding value back to consumers' lives or, you know, to anyone's life? I think what I'm doing right now is obviously um, giving you guys a bit of a preview into something that's coming really soon. And the reason why I wanted to show it to you is this is how we think about putting together a product that is intuitive, that is easy to use, and that is practical, right? And so what we want people to have the opportunity to do is to feel connected and engaged, but also not, I, I suppose, distorted in some ways from reality. So for us, I think one of the biggest things that we could see um, that was troubling is that notion of having to jump into a space and perform activities that you don't normally do day to day. For us, it was about how do you create an opportunity to amplify experiences that are part of our everyday life in terms of like small moments and small excite and delight sort of opportunities and how do you actually give people rewards and benefits? What are those? So for example, with our first partnership with The Hundreds, it's really about communities like that having access to exclusive jobs that are only available in that space as opposed to what everybody else can tap into. And I think those are really practical examples of how you can amplify things using the technologies we've spoken about as opposed to sort of wandering around without any aim or purpose. We have the ability to reward people for their participation in a very unique and transparent way that we currently don't have through other mechanisms. And also think about how many Instagrams you go to and you're like, does that person actually live there or did they get that house just for a photo shoot? You know, it's it, there's no transparency and we end up in this cycle of unhappiness and comparison and all the above and more. And so blockchain technology, what it allows us to do and, and NFTs are how we know them to be used today. We always talk about this internally. It's going to completely change. And we in some place are thinking of it in a completely different format, which is just really how does it allow you to share what your participation has been within specific community spaces, how you're actually engaging with your community, how much positivity are you bringing? How are you also working as an ambassador for that brand? Think of how many brands we love and talk about, but we get nothing in return. And so really thinking of that practical everyday use and how it can, it can allow not only richer engagement, but also richer reward. So there's rewards, there's transparency, but truly, you know, if you can deliver that human connection, the the two of you being on opposite side of the world, being able to be in the same room together, I mean, that is lightning in a bottle. And I love that your first NFT was 
a potion. Like literally, it's a great metaphor for what you guys are building. Just super, super exciting. Obviously, being female founders and female founders in tech during a period of time where we're experiencing a tech winter, how have you found capital raising uh, with, you know, this space in particular? Because it is really, you're breaking out and it's something that's new and probably unknown to a lot of VCs. How are you finding that whole process? I think it's such a it's such an interesting question and I think there's two parts to it. We all know that VCs are currently sitting on about $290 billion of dry capital and we we know that, that that has to be deployed. In terms of when that capital will be deployed, it's quite likely to happen in Q1 of next year. But I think there's a couple of issues to unpack here. Whether it's crypto winter or otherwise, ultimately great ideas get funded, great teams get funded, right? So that's that's the bottom line. I think, you know, being female founders, there's kind of three things that we think about internally from our own experience. One is that when women generally go to raise capital, particularly, you know, uh, dual co-founding teams, what you end up finding is that it, there's a concept called the benefit of the doubt. So men quite often will come with a bold idea with a lot of passion, energy um, and excitement. And women think about the conservative approach around, well, what do I do in scenario A, B, and C. And so when somebody's sitting across from you, their perception tends to be, well, if my mandate is to get 10x return on my investment, who am I going to back? Am I going to back that person with passion and energy and charisma or somebody who's got a slightly more conservative outlook? So I think for women, we're always thinking about benefit of the doubt and it's something that doesn't exist in this space as much as it could and should. What are we doing differently about it? We're looking at how we can be proactive and how we can meet, um, I suppose, the needs of the market, so to speak, so that we do get funding. Because despite the horrible statistics that we see every day, we see this as an opportunity for us to really build something that then allows us to um, change what the next generation's coming through will experience. That's what it's about, right, is having impact on our journeys in order to, you know, make ways for those female-founded businesses that are either standing beside us or coming, you know, after us. Not only do I agree with your point, Lana, but I actually read some research recently. Women get asked more questions during a pitch about that downside and how they're going to go about protecting it, whereas men get asked more questions about the the big vision. And so there's a a very well-known VC, I unfortunately can't remember who it was to credit them, but they said that by virtue of being a great team, they can make, you know, a great opportunity out of a large enough market. And so great teams get funded and great ideas get funded. But the data says that, you know, only 2%, actually less, the most recent Deloitte research says that it's something like 0.7% of solely female-founded businesses get backed. So I can't accept that there's only 0.7% of great female founders, you know, as a proportion of the distribution. I mean, even if we were to follow normal distribution, it'd be much, much higher. And so I want to believe that great teams get backed, but the data says otherwise. And I think you're spot on. Um, I think the the issue is it kind of comes back to the second point that I made. The experience that we've had is we're having to do things differently. And even within our own case study, even within our own scenario, we're having to think about uh, the the dynamics slash the gender split um, within our own executive team. Um, and it has been helpful to add several male executives to kind of change that and shift that status quo, even if it's just for 
the purpose of objects and perception um, by having that male in the room. And I don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation having that, you know, at the table almost validates that you do have a great team. People quite often like to look at um, past examples in terms of what success looks like because when you're making a bet, you can safely say, well, if it looks like this and quacks like this, it's probably this. And so what we're trying to think about is how do we not only change things that we can control today but actually roll with what society you know has um has in the cards for us right now to actually be able to get to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro which we hopefully will and I know we will to be able to drive that change but I, I fear that if you don't comply with the status quo you don't get to the top now that that's that might sound a little bit pessimistic but I call it pragmatic I see the pragmatism in it. And it's a pity because, as you said, people are pattern-seeking beings. So they do see success and what success has looked like in the past and they look for something that looks similar to it and therefore there's a, there's a, they've got a bit more confidence, a bit more you know, gut feel. And we're, there simply aren't enough female role models you know, from the past because really I, I feel an entire generation or generations of women have missed out on backing because you know, we have come a long way. But if we go back you know, 20, 30 years ago there certainly weren't as many options and prospects. So for generations that have missed out, we now don't have those women at the top or as many as we need for investors to say, there's another example of what success looks like. They don't all look the same. And we're talking about women, but again, I think it's important to talk about all minorities because there are many minorities in the same bucket as women. Speaking of you know, women at the top and making it to the top. Now, Juliana, I wholeheartedly believe you and Lana will get there. Tell me what is the most important thing once you do, once you make it and you've felt what it's like to be a female founder, what are the next steps? Based on history and what we've seen happening so far, I think we need major change in this department when it comes to female founders making it and getting to the top. For us internally, our... Our sole goal is to bring others with us, and that's women and every minority at the table because, you know, I'm not only a woman, I'm Latina. So I fall into even lower category of investment receiving mm-hmm. founders in, in the bracket there. And so when you start looking at that and also looking at representation, right? So when I look up, who looks like me that's up there? It's really hard to find it and see it. And so I think for us, it's really changing what that looks like once you get to the top. Not only for us, we always, Lana and I talk about this a lot. What she does is thinking of her daughter. What I do is thinking of my niece. We always think of how can we make it easier for the time that they get here. Um, you know, Lana's baby is a newborn. So a little bit more um, longevity there as my niece, who's now seven. And I just keep looking at her and thinking, gosh, you're not too far from choosing which path you're taking for a career and then actually getting a job and all of that and what that looks like. And when I look back at the challenges I've had being a woman, an immigrant, um, you know, I've been an immigrant for pretty much my entire life. I moved to the UK when I was 15 and I'm not going to tell you how old I am today, but (laughs) it's just the, the idea of how do we change that? And something we also talk about internally is the women that have made it. And it's almost, I use this as a call to action, really. If you've made it, if you're up there, 
Don't forget the path. It was freaking hard to get where you are today. There is the one to get there. Power can be distributed. It doesn't have to be held just onto you. I use this saying a lot. A raising tide raises all boats, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so we we should be able to get to that point and be able to spread spread the love, spread the joy, spread the the, the power, and bring others with us to where we got to. Absolutely, I think that's so powerful. You know, power can be distributed; it doesn't mean it's diluted. If anything, it's amplified, and that's really what we need. We need you know the females who have had that success, who are at the top, to actually exactly what you said, not forget about the past journey and, you know, help the others kind of get there as well. Um, And whether that is, you know, creating funds, whether it is um, being more involved in female founded businesses, whether it is opening up doors, it needs to, something needs to change. And actually, Mark Burris recently said, you know, is it time? Do we need more time? No, we don't need more time. We need action. Um, And I think that's basically what it comes down to. Jumping in here to share an exclusive offer from our friends at Adore Beauty. From now until midnight this Sunday, you can get 15% off on all orders over $75 when you shop through the Her Black Book app. To access the code and read the T's and C's, download the Her Black Book app right now. One of the things that's difficult about shifting the narration here is that we all want to be, you know, allies to this cause. We all want to see this, especially, as you said, for the next generation of, you know, women and all minorities that are coming up. But we certainly don't want to give the impression that, you know, we're sitting here whinging and going life is unfair. Like you, you've mentioned a very pragmatic decision you're making about, you know, balancing out the gender in your in your executive team. And I wish that wasn't necessary. I wish that wasn't the case, you know, to, to help you get where you need to get. But I understand the pragmatism that is, you know, getting behind that because you don't have time to lose. You know, you can't just sit here and wage, you know, kind of a a war on progress uh, and then, you know, kind of wait for that moment. So understand where you're headed. There's this term I actually heard on the Mark Burris uh, podcast we were on, gender washing. I hadn't actually heard it, but easy to understand and probably minority washing. I'm talking about, you know, events and, and things where, you might get an invitation, <laughs> but most of the people there are, you know, not minorities and funded. So how do you feel about that? Do you turn up? Do you not? So much I want to say about this. Um, <laughs> I was the fortunate slash unfortunate recipient of, of a Twitter message um, from a relatively prominent um, venture capitalist who sort of said to me, look, I'm hosting an event on such and such date. Do you happen to know of, of any individuals, quote unquote, who are not male and white um, to help us uh, bolster gen- gender diversity at the event? And I called Jules and I sort of said, I don't quite know how to respond to this, but I know there's a number of problems with that. Mm. Guys, we've all been to those events where we're invited as, you know, and I think especially when we were all starting out, me at Mumpers, you guys with Starliner, et cetera, I remember distinctly there would always be panels for women. What does that mean, panels for women? I mean, it should be panels for entrepreneurs generally, people building something, experts in a field, etc. I think it's problematic to organise events for the sake of um, and to have X quota representation. Um, What you need to be doing is picking up the pen, writing those checks, taking bold bets um, and seeing how they pay off. I mean, venture capital... It's not. It's not a. It's it's an art as much as it's a science. It's not guaranteed. I think we need to become bolder 
Um, and I think we need to actually uh, start doing the work as opposed to uh, organising gender panels or events with representation because that's not how you start to make the change. And just to add to that, it would be so much easier to host an event if you actually had diversity in your portfolio. You could just call the founders you funded, right? Yes. So start there. Start, maybe Isn't that instead the perfect of just solution? investing, <laughs> instead of investing only on the white male, you know, male and white, maybe just focus on everyone else a little bit more and it'll be easier to to curate your your guest list. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And look, Lana, you're not the first person, you're definitely not the last person who's received that. We've had many. I've had um, an invite to a dinner where they actually said, look, do you want to come along? Because we're at the stage where we're inviting the wives of the male founders we've backed to, so the room's not full of men. And I was just like, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> so, you know, 100% right. If they actually backed female businesses on their portfolios, it would be a lot easier on their time when it comes to organising these events. Look, I think we've highlighted a lot of the problems in this space. And the thing is that we are here to help. I'd like to believe there are a lot of VCs out there who actually genuinely want to see the change. And there are more female partners than ever. Still not enough, but, you know, there are changes happening. So call to action. Any VC out there that wants to consult on, you know, how things are going to change, we are here to get vocal about it in a positive way. Now, let's um, get on with quick fire questions to wrap up. Who loves a quick fire question? I do. <laughs> so <laughs> let's go. Um, Alana, favorite place on earth? Wow, someplace? <laughs> <laughs> yes! No. <laughs> no, that's a valid answer. Sorry, that was, that was, that, that was bad. And gosh, I think favourite place on earth for me, one of my most favourite, favourite holidays is probably um, the the years that James and I spent in Italy. We we always have such fond memories of, of our travels there. Um, I remember on our honeymoon, um, spending, we spent a lot of time in Positano, we spent a lot of time in Rome. Uh, it was uh, just so happy and positive and beautiful. Um, and we often talk about coming back there, Stoi. Um, the country has so many beautiful things and just has a really warm and special place in my heart um, and our hearts forever. Cute. Beautiful question for Juliana, your favourite movie of all time. Oh, my God. I've said this in the Twitter space before, so I can voice it again. It's Mary Poppins. The original. I love that. I have not seen it. Ah, oh, shock horror. <laughs> oh, my God. You have to. And, you know, there's as you, you have to watch it and then you have to, like, make comparisons with someplace because okay. there's so much Ooh. that I have taken from a sort of how the movie makes you feel as if you were in it, yeah. that I wanted to bring from a design perspective to the product. So That's super um, cool. definitely need to watch it. Okay, next item on your shopping list. Oh, I have a pair of Kate high knee boots that I've been eyeing for a little bit of some time. <laughs> Lana? Uh, gosh, I literally just bought the cutest little Chanel sandals, so I feel like I'm all done. <laughs> Lana, what's your coffee order? Always an almond latte. Juliana? Ah, here's the Aussie in me. It's always a flat white. Ah, Interesting. I love that. And final question for you both. You have already um, collaborated with some of the best Hollywood stars. If you could have one more to post tomorrow or to uh, collaborate with, who would it be? 
so I think it probably um, Ashley would be who we're about to collaborate with. There's nobody that we could think of that is bigger or better or more suited to this. And it's actually Bobby from The Hundreds who um, has been, um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the streetwear brands, The Hundreds, but they're also the creators of the uh, the project Adam Bomb Squad. Um, yeah. They sit at the intersection of culture, fashion, and crypto. And so for us, it's kind of a dream come true. So um, couldn't have thought of anyone better. There is something quite exciting happening within the Fairfax collaboration, which all I can say in true um, tribute to Alice in Wonderland and the potion is that will unlock the door to many other partnerships and curation opportunities. But watch this space. Very cool. Without being too cryptic. <laughs> that is super exciting. I can't wait to see that. Juliana, who would you have as your next celebrity? Oh, God, that's a hard one. I feel, I got to say, I'm not a celebrity kind of person. I'm like one of those people that I live in LA. They're everywhere. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. Whatever. Um, It's fine. But I would love the opportunity to actually collaborate with a movie director. We were talking about a couple of names a few weeks ago that I I can't really say because it might come to life eventually. And so just the idea of bringing in the vision of someone who can tell stories in such a unique way Mm. and collaborate with me in terms of storytelling from a visual perspective, it's a dream come true. So I'd say it's more about the talent than it is about the celebrity aspect. Lana and Juliana, thank you so much for being our guests on the podcast. I feel like we could keep chatting for hours. We are so excited about what is next for Someplace and the big launch in January, and we will be cheerleading you from the sidelines. Thank Thank you, guys. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having us. That wraps up Season 1 of The Flipside with Her Black Book, powered by Samsung Galaxy, presented by PopSugar Australia. A reminder to download the Her Black Book app to access exclusive incentives, cashback promotions and brand news from more than 700 of your favourite retail brands. You can get more of this episode and the entire series of The Flipside at popsugar.com.au. Thanks for tuning in. Until Until next time. time.